love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Mayhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. All right, welcome back. The people are going to love this. John Tomasi, reunited. How are you, sir? Reamer, it's been too long. And you know, this is a time of great triumph for us and for our people. And so the fact that we did not have an outlet for that is a little bit disappointing, but maybe we can make up for it here and remind people of why they have missed us so much. I know. Losing never felt so good. Being down in the house by a couple of seats has never felt better. Let me tell you, it's, it's a great triumph. <laughs> nothing, nothing says I am a Democrat like we only <laughs> lost by a little. Yay. It wasn't a total wipeout. We're on the up and up. It's great. Um, so how do you like this transition? We'll get right into it. The Red Sox, I don't think are on the up and up right now. You wrote this the other day that they keep saying Xander Bogarts is their top priority. And by they, I guess I mean Heim Bloom, but their actions, of course, indicate otherwise. My question is, you've been covering this stuff for a long time. When someone like Heim Bloom keeps selling us this stuff, Xander Bogarts is our top priority. We want to re-sign Xander. We love Xander, etc. But we know again that their actions have shown anything but that, like... Who is that for exactly? Yeah, so that's a great question. And, you know, part of me thinks that it is probably an ingrained sort of, you know, Sam Kennedy ownership style control the narrative sort of effort. It's like we want to make sure that if Xander leaves, like I do believe they want Bogarts to a degree. They want him on their terms or something probably closer to their terms than he's going to be comfortable with. So I don't think it's total garbage like they have no intentions of even negotiating with them but i think it's an attempt a misguided attempt to control the narrative this is a red Sox like thing to do you know dating back to larry lucchino and and all of that kind of stuff where we want everyone to know how badly we wanted him so when if and when he leaves we can say we did everything we could the problem with this approach is you're doing it a, at a time when trust in your front office is very low. Right. It, you know, if you ask Red Sox fans about Heim Bloom, they don't say, wow, what a great run to the ALCS in 2021. They say Mookie Betts. And Xander right. Bogarts is Mookie Betts part two. And maybe Rafael Devers is Mookie Betts part three. And so there's not the trust of the front office for one. And for two, you're saying that in an offseason when you have also made a point of saying we will spend – We have resources. This is what we've been building towards. We can be a factor on any player we want. So you can't tell people on one hand, our pockets are, you know, limitless. Our coffers are limitless. And then turn around and say, well, Xander wanted too much. And I think that's where they're headed. And I think that is going to blow up spectacularly in their face. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're not going to come out and say we have little interest in re-signing Xander Bogarts to a market deal. But, you know, it's not 1997 anymore. Like, we read more than what Heim Bloom tells the reporters at the GM meetings or their winter meetings. Like, it's amazing to me that any sports team really thinks that they can somehow control a narrative when, again, actions speak louder than words and we all know what the actions are. Yeah, I mean, just think about it. Just to take Bogarts as an example. Actions. You know, you lowballed him in spring training. You basically offered him one year and 30 million. You know, it's been presented as four and 90, but it was really one and 30 because they were telling him, keep the three and 60 already on your deal and we'll tack on one more year. And just to sidetrack, just for one second, 
Think about how nonsensical that is. You're telling him, we think you're worth $30 million four years from now, but we're not even going to give you a raise for the next three when you can opt out. Like, that makes no sense. At least if you had said four and 30, okay, four and 120, like, maybe you can make an argument for that. But this, no. So that's action number one. Action number two, you signed his replacement, Trevor Story. And Trevor Story gave the game away at his introductory press conference when he was asked about his comfort level playing second base. And he said, it's fine for this year, which, you know, certainly leads one to believe that maybe he's been told, hey, if things don't work out with Xander, you'll be our shortstop. You know, then you get to the fact that they barely negotiate or didn't negotiate during the season. They had an exclusive negotiating window in October. They got nothing done. And then the report comes out on day one of free agency that they're talking to other teams about acquiring second baseman. So Trevor Story can move to short. All of these actions tell me that they don't think they're going to sign Xander Bogarts. So when they come out and say, first priority, only priority, first priority, we're not stupid. Fans look at them and say, you're liars. And that's what they're going to say if he signs elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, they're setting themselves up to have egg on their face, no doubt. When someone like Ken Rosenthal reports that the Reds, and I'm always interested by these insiders from Rosenthal to Schefter to Woj, how they word things. And someone like Rosenthal reports that the Red Sox have, quote, I have it here, uh, indicated a strong willingness to spend this offseason. You know, that's really how normal people talk. How do you, <laughs> like, what do you read into that? Like, is that just total crap? No, I believe that. I, I okay. 100% believe that. And it's interesting that you mentioned those guys because I think out of Wode, Schefter, and yeah. Rosenthal, Rosenthal by far is the one who's not compromised like the other guys are. You know, Schefter, we have the whole Washington thing where he was like letting yeah. Snyder Mr. read his Redditor, stories yep, ahead yep, of time. Yep. And people have made the connection with Woj and Ime Udoka and sharing an agency and what's going on there. Rosenthal is the, I think he is the far and away the most beyond reproach of any of those guys. So when he says stuff like that, I believe it. But this all fits with what we've been, the local guys have been reporting since the end of the season and Bloom said it on the podcast with your coworker, Brad Foe, like Brad. they were building to this off season. The farm system is in shape. They had over a hundred million dollars come off the books. Ownership has always spent right up to, or pretty much up to the luxury yes. tax, which means they are going to spend. So I don't doubt that they're going to spend this winter. I'm just not sure how they're going to do it. And we can get yeah. into that in a second. Yeah, well, it's the Red Sox tradition. Spend on the other guys, but not your guys. You know, don't re-sign John Lester, but then pay David Price more than Lester got with the Cubs. Classic Red Sox. More things yep. change. More stay the same, <laughs> I guess. Um, I want to ask you about Jalen Brown here, Tomasi, a little Celtic stuff. Um, you know, he's been on kind of the uh, pro-Kyrie bandwagon for a couple weeks, and really yesterday, Monday, a very vehement defense of Kyrie Irving. Um, he was slow to distance himself from Kanye West. I think Jalen Brown is interesting. I think that he's obviously a very smart guy. He's said a lot of smart things about social justice and a lot of these types of issues. But I don't know. This vehement Kanye, uh, Kyrie defense does not really sit that well with me. Um, how do you read Jalen Brown? And why do you think that he seemingly avoids a lot of the scrutiny that, you know, Kyrie, that I think some athletes would get if they were as outspoken in favor of Kyrie Irving and some other things that he's said or, you know, done here. Yeah. So I'm going to start with the Kyrie half of that. You know, why, why is he defending Kyrie so much? I think this is a loyalty thing and a union yes. thing more than anything. Because well, Kyrie think, is a vice president, right? 
Kyrie is vice president of the union. Uh, Jalen Brown's uh, Celtics, you know, rep. He's high up in the very involved in union affairs. And I think he rightly, this is the part that I will agree on. This punishment is so haphazard where it's like, yeah. basically you have to tell us what we want you to tell us. And then you can come back. Right. Like, I don't <laughs> think that's been collectively bargained. So I think the that's union true. part of Jalen Brown just can't true. abide by that. Like this is too, uh, you know, just nebulous. And right. that's not how collective bargaining works. So in that sense, I get it. I do think he is badly misreading the room when it comes to, okay, fine, you're loyal to your former teammate. More importantly, I think you're loyal to your union, but you have to step back and recognize how Kyrie's comments are being received and the environment they're being received in. You know, I don't have to tell you about the rise in anti-Semitism and all this stuff in the last four or five years uh, that has made those kind of comments particularly toxic and there needs to be recognition of that you know as for uh what was the other half of this question on Jalen brown uh just in general he seems to be i don't know a little more out there oh than why does he skate why realize. yes you're yeah. asking why does he skate on this stuff yeah. unlike other guys because i think he has put his money where his mouth is in terms of being involved in the community and even his kanye thing it wasn't uh, initially it was loyalty to Kanye, which is like, okay, that's, that's not going to fly. Loyalty to Yee, John. Yee. Yeah, loyalty sorry. To I, I can never, I was like, is he Diddy or is that the other guy? I can never remember. I sound very <laughs> old. Daddy, actually. He's Puff Daddy. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think because Brown has been so visible in his community, whether it was going back to Georgia uh, you know, during protests and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the fact that he's so involved in the community, I think that buys him some good, great, you know, that buys him some goodwill that other athletes wouldn't get. And, you know, Kyrie does some of that stuff too, but he's a class unto himself and he is a destroyer of teams and all that stuff. Brown has been a good teammate. He's been good in the community. And yeah. so I think people have been a little slower to jump all over him. Yeah, that's true. And I agree with you. On one hand, I say, okay, like the Nets owner, Joe Tsai, who is, you know, funding the genocide and of the Uyghurs in China is going to tell Kyrie like when he can and can't come back. I get that. But on the other hand, and Jalen said, you know, is Nike now going to be a moralistic? When you start doing the, you know, what about them kind of game, you start to sound a little bit like Tucker Carlson as well. So I don't know. It's interesting. A couple of things, a couple of ways to go there. Um, I also want to ask you this to close out. I know we like both talking about this. So for all of our years at EEI, we always hammered the Patriots trolls, right? Tomasi, the Bart Scotts of the world, the Sean McCoys of the world, you know, get out our pitchforks for them. And with Sean McCoy in the news again this week, saying Belichick is not a great coach, comparing him to Marvin Lewis, Rex Ryan. Um, if the Patriots, you know, kind of muddle along here in the second half, like they've done in the first half and for the three years without Brady, do all of us, maybe not me and you, but do, does everyone else Oh, Bart Scott, all these guys, an apology for piling on them all these years because maybe maybe they're right about Belichick. Maybe they're right. <laughs> I love you mentioned Tucker Carlson, and now we're demanding apologies of people. We are. It's a very, very thing to do. Address um, it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say that the six rings and all of that probably speak for themselves, but you know, some holes have clearly been poked in the Belichick mythology. And even now, watching McDaniel struggle in Vegas as well. You're sort of like, man, his coaching tree isn't great. Uh, he is, hasn't been great without Brady. Mac Jones has taken a step back. So I think it's less, we owe them an apology and more. 
you just got to sit there and take it uh, when these guys come out, especially if they finish this season like they finished last season. And when you look at the schedule in front of them, that is not out of the realm of possibility, especially since their quarterback play has been so bad uh, this year. You say, you know, if they end up sub 500, sorry, Patriots fans, you're just going to have to suck it up and take it because all those guys have been sharpening their knives for years are finally going to get to use them. Yep, exactly. And I think there's a lot of that locally too, or some of that locally at least. Um, last question. When I left DEI and our kind of in the liberal firewall totally collapsed over there, um, you said that we would reconnect with, I think, Beto AOC in maybe 2024. I don't know. Are we still backing them in a couple years? AOC, I don't know. I think both are kind of out, Beto especially. I think we have to recalibrate a little bit. Yeah, I would say, you know, our side tends to embrace like the losers, you know, yeah. Beto is we're big, Stacey Abrams, we're big. And it's like, well, these people keep losing. So maybe we should turn our attention elsewhere. Uh, AOC has been marginalized a little bit, she you know, the progressive been. wing sort of isn't what it was before. So I think we might be crawling on or climbing on, I should say, the Mayor Pete train. No. And uh, maybe he will lead us to salvation because I'm thinking that Joe getting up there you know I, I think his final gift to us will be not getting wiped out in these midterms so thank you for that sir thank you for only thank you for only losing the house by a couple seats as we yeah. said a grand success That's a win for us you know one side is all about power and taking the supreme court and gerrymandering you know districts into oblivion and we're like we only lost by a little good job <laughs> everyone gets a trophy i can think of somebody we used to work with who would love that uh, approach to politics. I can't think of who you're thinking of. Uh, John Tomasi. Thanks, man. You got it. Anytime.